listening to the Editor's Podcast for the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice. I'm Cheryl Monks, and today I'm talking with Associate Editor Dr. Justin Moore about the March 2021 issue, which focuses on prevention strategies. Before we get into our conversation, I would like to thank our sponsors, the DeBeaumont Foundation, Bold Solutions for Healthier Communities. Learn more at DeBeaumont.org. So, Dr. Moore, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Your new editorial addresses the issue that COVID-19 has now taken not only more than 400,000 American lives, but it has also taken away resources needed for the many persistent chronic and infectious diseases that have gone unattended and even intensified as a result of the coronavirus mitigation efforts. What lessons have we learned from COVID-19 as we slowly re-engage these ongoing public health threats? I think the first thing we've learned is that we've let our public health infrastructure weaken and our public health workforce deplete. As it's been published many times in the journal, you know, we are experiencing a lot of turnover, a lot of retirement in the public health workforce, and there's just not enough of it. And the connectivity between health departments at the local, state, and federal level, you know, federal health agencies could be better. And and we've seen that in a lot of ways. Another thing we've learned, especially in light of the vaccine rollout, is that it takes a lot of coordination between federal resources, you know, entities, and those folks on the ground who have to put shots in arms. And so, you know, I think we've learned a lot about what needs to be built or strengthened to have an effective response to an emerging threat like COVID. I think the other thing that we've seen is is that, you know, chronic disease and infectious disease are often thought of separately. I'm saying there are some uh, obvious exceptions, you know, such as HPV and cancer. But, you know, I think in a lot of people's minds, you know, we would never think about, you know, something like individuals with obesity being at higher risk for comorbidity and, and, and more serious illness from an infectious disease. And that's what we've observed is that there are many chronic diseases that put you at risk for more severe cases. And so I think it's it's drawn our attention to the fact that, you know, none of us working in public health is working on an island. You know, the things that, you know, we may focus on in our research or in our practice may be very much interdependent upon others who are working on things that might at first glance seem uh, disconnected, but at the end of the day, are very much related to one another if we're going to have a comprehensive and holistic view of public health and individual health. So vaccine distribution has been slow, but there now are several vaccines on the market. Should we view this as the light at the end of the tunnel, or do we still have yet a great distance to cover before we reach herd immunity and get the pandemic under control? You know, there's obviously a lot of ground to cover. You know, we're we're simply crawling uh, in the extent to which we're getting individuals vaccinated, and that is due to a lack of, of coordination at the at the federal level that's unfolding by the day. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, we are getting individuals vaccinated. We are improving the supply lines and implementation strategies necessary. And I do believe that in the coming months uh, from now, 
we'll start to see our levels uh, increase. You know, it will probably be legitimately six more months before we even approach the threshold necessary to achieve herd immunity. So we're going to we're going to continue to wear masks, wash our hands. But then again, I hope that we always continue to wear masks when we feel symptomatic or when, you know, we go out uh, around others, you know, that we're more considerate about, you know, disease transmission and more aware. I hope everyone keeps washing their hands for 15 seconds. You know, I hope sanitation stations become the norm. You know, I, I hope this heightened awareness doesn't go away. You know, there, I, I'm not going to say anything good about the COVID pandemic, but I will say that, you know, if we, as a society, completely abolish handshaking, you know, I don't, I don't think that's bad. So, you know, there are some good things that, you know, we can look at as we move to a point where normalcy resumes and we get back to some semblance of the life that we had prior to COVID's uh, discovery. What, if anything, are you optimistic about for 2021? Well, I think the, the first thing is what I just said is that, you know, we, we have effective vaccines. We are redoubling our efforts to equitably distribute those vaccines. And we will start to see life come back to a point where the economy can recover and we can enjoy the little things in life that we took for granted for so long. I'm also looking forward to us having discussions around, you know, those issues that I mentioned earlier that had kind of gone out of vogue. You know, I do a lot of research in prevention and treatment of obesity and related lifestyle behaviors, physical activity, uh, healthy eating, these types of things. And it was hard to get people's attention because, you know, it, it wasn't the hot thing. But now that we've spent a year or more um, isolated from one another, um, unable to go out and be active together or in gyms in many places, and our children have been at home and increasingly sedentary, I think there will be a renewed interest, and this is not just a self-interest for me, but I think there are other conditions such as screening that has fallen off, you know, where we will make a better effort to connect those individuals to everything from you know, dental care, you know, cancer screenings, and, and other types of preventive measures that once we were challenged to establish those behaviors during the pandemic or continue those behaviors, we, we started to realize what we were missing. You know, think about how many months you were just happy to get, you know, just would be happy to get a haircut. And so, you know, a lot of things that we're like, well, you know, this isn't that big of a deal. Well, now that we're seeing increased rates of, say, um, hypertension that have gone undiagnosed because of a lack of preventive care and things like that. I think it will refocus us on a more holistic view of what health is and realize that we can't work, you know, against one another and say, oh, we need more funding for this, more funding for this, just because it's the hot new thing. And hopefully we will come together and realize that it's all part of the bigger picture of a comprehensive, holistic public health approach. At least that's my hope. Yeah, the the field of public health working holistically, as you say, is one thing. But do you think the public in general, uh, the country as a whole, do you think we have learned anything about prevention? Considering the fact that we as a uh, we as a country have led 
the world in numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. Have we learned from this? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think on one hand, we've learned the downside of our individualistic nature. You know, America is founded on opportunity, but sometimes it can be a kind of an approach that, you know, rising tide raises all ships, or it can be a every man and woman for his or herself mentality. And we've seen both during the pandemic. We've seen amazing acts of, of you know, heroism as people have put themselves at risk to, you know, treat individuals, to do testing, you know, to practice medicine. And we've seen, you know, a lot of sacrifice. We've seen people risk their life to keep the supply chains going, to keep, you know, making food available, you know, to stock shelves and things like this, you know, risking their life so that we can all, you know, eat and, and, and continue our existence. So it's two sides of a coin. Um, but what I do hope is that we learn from the positive examples and, you know, can come together and realize that, you know, like with vaccination, like with mask wearing, that it doesn't have to be about you. It can be about someone you care about or it can be about someone you've never met because that's how, you know, viruses and other infectious disease work. So I think it's not so much a matter of what have we observed is what lessons are we going to take from that? When we look back, will we, on an individual and a collective level, be proud of what we saw and what we did, or will we not? You know, and if we're not, will we learn from that and grow from that as individuals and as a society that perhaps realizes that, you know, we should be a little bit better and a little bit more considerate of one another if we're going to have a functional economy and a functional society? And so it remains to be seen. You know, there are prior examples where we have um, learned lessons from disaster, be they, um, you know, the terroristic acts of 9-11 or um, natural uh, disasters exacerbated by man-made failure such as Katrina. But at the end of the day, history tends to repeat itself, but hopefully we'll grow as a people and, and like I said, keep washing those hands, stay home when you're sick, but also put policies in place where people can stay home when they're sick. They can, you know, put their children in childcare or pull them from childcare and stay home with them if they're sick. But that is a policy intervention. So at the end of the day, we not, e not only need to learn about our own behaviors, but we need to encourage our elected officials and our policymakers to enact policies that will enable us to do the right thing. Because if you're if you're stuck with the choice between go to work and eat or not go to work and not eat, then the choice is pretty clear, even if you wake up with a sniffle and a slight fever. But you know, if you have you know paid sick leave, if you have childcare options, you know, if you have the ability to do the right thing, it makes doing the right thing a whole lot easier. So that would be my hope. Yeah, that's a very good point about policy. So are there any other final thoughts or recommendations about 
articles uh, that are in the new issue of the journal? Just the fact that, you know, we are starting to publish a lot more on, you know, these, as I called them, you know, old adversaries of ours. So I encourage, you know, listeners to check out the new issue. There are a lot of of great articles addressing those uh, chronic disease issues that I mentioned. Um, I outlined some of those in my editorial, but, uh, you know, it's time to, to come back and start to reconfigure ourselves as, you know, we're still in the peak of the pandemic, but when we get on the other side, you know, these old enemies uh, of public health um, are still going to be there. And so we need to, to, if we have become distracted, or if we have been pulled away from those activities to go back and address them and redouble our efforts. And so um, a lot of great uh, work in the journal uh, to help inform those efforts. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Moore. And for our listeners, you can find the March 2021 issue of the journal on our website at journals.lww.com forward slash JPHMP. Also, learn more about a call for abstracts for an upcoming supplemental issue of the journal on public health interventions to address health disparities associated with structural racism. You'll find that call for abstracts on jphmpdirect.com. This feature was brought to you by JPHMP Direct, the companion site of the Journal of Public Health Management and Practice. Look for the editor's podcast with each bi-monthly and supplemental issue of the journal.